This episode of PodSam is supported by Mountain Guard. What the common definition of resilience actually fails to kind of take into account is that people respond differently. And we have to think about resilience, not just surviving something, but actually growing and evolving and getting a little bit better as a result of being through a challenge. You have tuned into PodSam, the podcast channel of Sam Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. It's the fifth year of Sam's leadership development program, the Summit Series, where we have gathered a group of current and emerging industry leaders for four facilitated discussions on the industry's pressing issues. Over the course of the winter and spring, we will be sharing these conversations here on PodSam and in the pages of Sam Magazine. On this episode, four of our mentors discuss resilience. We'll hear from Charles Skinner, owner and president of Midwest Family Ski Resorts, Kelly Pollock, president of the National Skiaries Association, Melissa Roberts, general manager and CFO of Berkshire East, Massachusetts, and John Hammond, president of Sugarbush Resort, Vermont. The facilitator for this discussion is Paul Palner, principal at Daggerwing Group, a top 10 change management consultancy firm and founder of High Peaks Group. Paul is also the author of Reinventing Resilience, how organizations move through setbacks to grow through challenges. The Summit Series is brought to you through the support of our longtime sponsor, Mountain Guard. Tim Barnhorst and his team have been tremendous supporters of education and leadership development in our industry. We'll start the conversation here with Paul Tallner. What I'm going to do is is just talk to you a little bit about um, uh, what I discovered in organizational uh, organizational resilience. You know, through conversations I've had with folks in the ski industry, with Olivia and others. Uh, about what makes an organization resilient versus what makes an individual resilient. And we're going to talk about individual resilience first uh, and then organizational resilience down the road here. But what really prompted this whole conversation about resilience anyway for me? Uh, And it was one of these really interesting kind of light bulb moments that kind of had me thinking, huh, you know, why is it that organizations uh, that are that a lot of people consider um, resilient are full of stressed out people, and what's the relationship between workplace stress and organizational success? And you know, there's a number of really interesting things out there that and, and statistics and data that that are kind of shocking when it comes to the effect of stress on on individuals. Number one <laughs> is that. Jeffrey Pfeffer, a Stanford University professor, wrote a book called um, Dying for a Paycheck. He talked about the workplace being the fifth leading cause of death in the United States. And that was was because of workplace stress. The other uh, thing to know is that the that workplace stress is something that you know, is not new. The World Health Organization has declared workplace stress a global epidemic, and this was way before COVID. And then more recently, uh, some of you may have seen the story that the U.S. Surgeon General um, said that 84% of workers report workplace conditions that contribute to at least 
one mental health challenge. So if all that's true, um, how can a workplace actually survive if its people are continuously stressed, demotivated, and thinking of doing something else? So it used to be that we could kind of, you know, kick the can down the road because there were so many workers out there to kind of replace stressed out workers that there's always a supply of people. And I think we've, we're discovering, and you've, you've probably already discovered this, that we can't always rely on people being around to fill those empty spots. So we, it's really important to ensure that we are um, focused on maintaining the well-being of the people who are around so that they can have good long careers uh, where, they, where they're working now at the resorts that they're in now. So that is what prompted all of this stuff. The, ne the next thing that I started thinking about is sort of what is what is it about resilience? So what how do we even define it? And there are two common ways that most people think about resilience. And I did a little bit of a thought experiment with my network. I sent out a poll and there was a lot of conversation and people were voting. It ended up being about 50 50. But the idea was like, OK, so is resilience this idea of coming back to shape after being squeezed like a sponge? Or is it more like this idea of withstanding pressure, like a steel rod, right? If you try to bend a steel rod, the, it just kind of pushes back. And so the, a resilient thing is something that can withstand that pressure without getting uh, damaged. Of course, it was a trick question <laughs> because the fact is, the answer is both and neither. Um, what the common definition of resilience actually fails to kind of take into account is that people respond differently than a sponge or a steel rod. Like if you squeeze a person or you try to bend a person, they, they actually change as a result of those things that impact them, right? We have thoughts, we have feelings, we have emotions, and we carry these uh, memories with us. So we actually change when we uh, experience a significant challenge. So in reality, resilience is not static the way most people think about it. It's actually quite dynamic. And we have to think about resilience, not just surviving something, but actually growing and evolving and getting a little bit better as a result of being through a challenge. Uh, so it's not, not quite uh, an accurate, I mean, resilience is getting a bad rap, right? It's all about just getting up after being knocked down. But you know, who wants to sign up for being knocked down all the time? The next thing I started thinking about was like, so how, if workplace stress is a big problem and we don't really understand resilience, so what are some of the underlying factors that impact uh, us at the workplace? And it drew me to this idea of neuroscience, right? I think we all understand kind of at a basic level that there are these fight, flight, and freeze responses that we sometimes experience when we're under peak stress, right? So like there are moments when we're, you know, when we're suddenly terrified or, you know, that we kind of brace ourselves to fight or something like that, or we, you know, have the instinct to run away from something or, or maybe even just get paralyzed with fear, locked up and unable to move or act at all. That's because what happens in the brain under peak stress is that we lose our ability to use our this part of the brain up front, the, the neocortex. This is the thinking part of the brain, sometimes called the executive part of the brain, because it's being taken over by a part of the brain back here called the amygdala. 
and the amygdala is sort of like very much connected to our primal brains our kind of mammalian brains lizard brains as some people call it and that that amygdala controls our all of the uh, release of chemicals into our bodies based on our sensations that we encounter so back in the day you know saber-toothed tiger tiger comes up to you you are going to have an immediate response of either fight it or run away or get frozen in fear right so those are that's because survival is dependent on whatever you however you respond obviously these days we don't have like you know imminent threats like that all the time that are you know that are uh, you know that are like a saber-toothed tiger or impending you know invasion from a neighboring village or something like that but we do have lots and lots of stressors that kind of create a similar effect whether it's um all of the effects of the pandemic the fear of the unknown not knowing whether what the weather is going to be like this uh, this season all the way down to my uh you know my son is home sick from school or um i'm not quite sure uh you know what's going to happen at work and you know things like that so there's all kinds of stressors acting on us all the time that create similar responses to the ones we had back when we when our uh, mammalian brains were really effective so that's what creates workplace stress all the little things add up any one of those things isn't really something that's going to trigger a major response but the accumulation of them really does and that's why we have to be mindful and aware of how we can build up our own resilience so that we can be more effective in our jobs on a day-to-day -day basis right so what are the qualities then of resilient people resilient people typically have a strong belief in their own ability right so they they may not know exactly how they're going to use their skills or capabilities but they generally feel like they are competent and capable right so i know i can do something don't know whether it's going to be enough or not but at least i feel competent in something they also see the world clearly and unflinchingly so what that means is um resilient people tend to have an accurate assessment of the situation around them it's in if you studied emotional intelligence there's something called situational awareness or environmental awareness just to be able to read the room or read the situation very accurately that's a hallmark of a resilient person as opposed to the opposite which is you know um oh saying it's oh not that bad uh you know sugar coating or catastrophizing thinking like oh this is the sky is falling this is the worst thing in the world this is terrible so seeing the world clearly is a very important part of being a resilient person understanding one's fears and triggers just being really aware of those things that set you off um, accepting the situation for what it is like being involved in a really difficult challenge for instance but saying it'll get better someday i recognize it maybe it's terrible or it's hard right now but at least i under i accept it i get that I'm not trying to wish it away. Um, choosing possibilities thoughtfully, resilient people tend to look at uh, a very measured and practical set of ways forward. They don't create very fanciful or um, implausible things to do. They actually look for the real possibilities that can actually happen. And then lastly, resilient people are able to access the full range of resources that they have at their disposal. And by that, that includes 
their own competencies, their skills and talents, their value system, their families, people around them, um, you know, uh, you know, the human resources around them, and as well as the practical and tangible tools and what you might consider uh, actual physical resources like, you know, time, money, uh, you know, the computers around you and things like that. So those are the qualities of resilient people. And the, what really drives all this is the idea that people, resilient people have a keen awareness of the situation. As I mentioned, I call that staunch realism and a real belief that they can get the job done or get through a challenge. And that's what I call collective or it's efficacy, but collective efficacy in the form of an organization, individual efficacy for a person. And those two things together create the definition of my reinvented definition of resilience, which is the courage and confidence to grow through challenges. So I had a question for the mentors. I think it's really interesting to hear people's resilience stories. So I'm wondering if uh, any of the mentors have an experience of when they've bounced back from something uh, and bounced back a little bit better and what they learned from that experience. Let's start with John and and don't feel we all have to pick the the most obvious one, which is COVID. So, you know, we, we've, uh, we, we want you to kind of think back as well a little bit earlier in your career, you know, maybe at a time when you were an emerging leader or a current leader. One thing that I think everyone can probably relate to in the seasonal businesses that we are with the ski area is that every year you come back and you're starting over from scratch. And it's, it, even though you seem like you've got the same people that worked the last 20 years are still coming back every year. It's just like, how did everyone forget their job over the last three months? And so one of the things that, you know, what I've learned, you know, from the very first time of being a manager was, you know, like you, you, when you're at the resort year round, you're living it every day, you're in it and you, you're sort of thinking about it 24 seven, no matter what, when you bring it back, your seasonal staff, they have other life things that are going on, th- other things that are more important. And so you come back and you're going at hundred miles an hour and they're just trying to just get on the on-ramp. And so one of the things that, uh, you know, for bouncing back was, you know, initially being a new manager was like trying to temper that like enthusiasm and expectation and the fact that you remember, you know, where all of the things are and how things are supposed to be and sort of being able to explain. And then what I got about being a perspective on the leadership side of it was that, you know, one, as a leader, you need to slow down, but two, you actually need to be a better communicator. Like, you know, you start sending out those emails beforehand. Hey, we're going to be getting back going on the mountain. Make sure you guys are all set. You know, have you thought about this? This is what we've been doing. So really, again, it's on the communication side of it is what you need to be doing is the, what I've learned out of it. Relatable topic for everybody. Exactly. And um, Melissa, you want to share? Sure. Um, when I was in finance before the GM role, I had I was relatively new in the position and I had a really key employee leave right before a major audit. So um my initial reaction was to just put my head down, buckle down, work long hours and just get it done. Um, And there were some fellow employees who weren't really related or involved in the audit who stepped forward and were like, Hey, what can we do? And it reinforced to me that it's okay to rely on other people and to ask for help. It doesn't make you 
weak, but it's actually a, a sign of, of strength and, and in teamwork. And if we all work together and take it by pieces, you know, it, it gets things done a lot better and a lot faster. So it's, you know, part of it is communication. Like John said, I was like, okay, communicate where, where I was at and what I needed to do and, and reach out and, and ask for help because you may be surprised by what you get. Charles, you know, three, three resorts you're running. You've been at this a long time. There, there must be a wealth of stories where you um, were faced with some challenges and, and, um, and grew through those. Can you share? Well, I think the story is probably in, in, in progress right now. <laughs> and uh, that the, maybe the story will be uh, a year from now that I could relate. But uh, I, I would just like to really touch on, um, you know, kind of the ski industry in general and the resort business and the vacation business, because I, I think that, you know, more than an individual story that the whole industry is, is, is really a, a story of resilience. I mean, we go from, you know, John touched on it, you know, you, if you have a, a business that's, you know, more winter oriented or more exclusively winter oriented, uh, depending on the circumstances of the different ski areas, you're bringing back everybody or virtually everybody from scratch. And so we all have an element of that, but you know, there's also the seasonality of our businesses, um, you know, between seasons, the summer season and, uh, you know, going from, you know, much quieter during the week to the Saturday and the over, being overwhelmed. Uh, you know, this year we had, we had, we had double our, our business uh, in, in the fall. Um, our gondola was full. We had, you know, the, there was a line of cars down a, a mile and a half down to the state highway on both sides of park parking. And so our, our staff has to deal with this all the time. And um, at Lutzen, we go from a, a busy winter season to a busy summer season to a busy fall season. And then we have another skier that is more like what John described, where we have mostly winter operations. So I, I think this is, you know, we'll talk about it some more, um, I'm sure today, but, uh, I think that stress is good for people in many ways. It keeps you alive, but it's you know, how you deal with it is 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 how the how you um, come out as an individual or, or as an organization. And Kelly, you know, as an operator at at uh, Mount Snow for many years, and and then jumping to NSA role, is there one story you can share where you you know bounce back from from a stressful period with a new perspective on on things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, just hearing the story so far, um, the one that kind of aligns is Tropical Storm Irene. Um, everybody was hit so hard, including the ski area that I was working at um, in the community that we've lived in. Literally, there were no roads in or out. My daughter was in college. My husband and son were stuck at Stratton for four days because there were no roads even back to Dover. Um, one of our housekeepers perished in the storm trying to get home. The entire town of Wilmington, which is a few miles away, it was not a business left. And I was in the, this is 2011. Okay, we got to fix it. Like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And uh, what I learned right away, because we went into, most of us went into that um, fright where you freeze on the ledge. <laughs> and you need your guide to come and walk you out, is we were literally zombies. But then um, I think listening, asking questions, the staff told us what they needed to do. We need to grieve. We need counseling. We need to help our neighbors. 
We need to help our staff members. And that's what we did. We put everything on hold. We were building a lift. We had a beer fest. We just said, done. We're closed. And we're going to help. And that was that was healing for all of us. We just needed to do something to heal. And um, that was probably the first time in my career that I slowed down. And it was it's been such a great lesson. That's a that's a great story. And it and it it reminds me of some of the lessons in the military training when they come on to a scene. First thing you do is slow everything down and assess and uh, in those times when there's a crisis. So sounds like that was a good teachable moment. Um, let's go uh, back to M- Melissa and um, you know, when you can you think about when you've seen a very capable person, a, a boss or an, another leader, another department get completely overwhelmed um, by a difficult situation and and you observe that, you know, in a way that you thought you 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 took something from that of, you know, what you wanted to do or not do as a leader? Yes. Um, I had a manager at one point in my career who was a yeller and realized that that person that was their initial reaction to stress. Um, and I learned very quickly that rather than bringing us together, it really alienated that person from the rest of the team because it made us all feel very uncomfortable and, and operated in a state of fear. So I, I kind of took two things from that in our industry, you know, we're in the recreation industry. It's fun is, you know, this mantra I use, and I still use it now is we are not curing cancer and we're not performing brain surgery. We all have important jobs to do, but they are not life critical given certain circumstances, but in our day to day. And so realize that take it seriously, but keep it in the perspective that it's supposed to be. And I also realized that kindness will get you a lot further, faster, and with a much better team. John, and I'd, I'd put the same question to you for this one is, you know, you've worked your way up and, and you along the way, have you seen, you know, a capable boss or manager get completely overwhelmed and, and what did you take from it? I think, you know, I think back at some of the operations team uh, managers that have had work for me or that I worked under that would sort of get overwhelmed by all of the things and then not get anything done or, you know, they, you know, all of the different possibilities and talk themselves into a circle and, and early on realize that, you know, like you need to focus on what you can control, focus on what's going to be the best outcome out of the, of the decisions that you can be making and then commit to it, have the confidence that you're making the right decision and, you're like, this is what we're doing. Move forward. Charles, um, switching gears a little bit, do you do you think that resilience is something that um, people are, are born with or that they develop over time? And you've seen it probably play out on all kinds of people successfully and not successfully. So is it something they're born with or you have to work at and develop skills? I think it's, you know, it's certainly both. Um, and I think that one of the, most important things, the qualities that we have in our businesses is is that we really prioritize uh, people to work for years and decades um, at our ski areas. And I think that 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 brings a perspective, you know, you have senior people that maybe been there 30, 40 years, and maybe their kids are working there too. They've been through the rhythm rhythms of the ski of the ski business and the bad weather and the 40 below and the the kind of storms that Kelly was mentioning. And um, 
I think that that part is is really important to build in your organization is, you know, that you may get somebody that has better skills down the road, but having that continuity of, in senior management of, of people that are there for a long time is really, really important. Have you done anything to kind of shore up resiliency during this especially um, stressful, uncertain time that we've had? If, have you guys done anything internally at your resort? Um, you know, I guess looking at it from my perspective, you know, we're trying to integrate uh, different operations, different egos, different personalities, um, different priorities. What we try to do is is communicate, um, and I, I try to be patient. Uh, I try to okay look at the where where's the overlap uh, amongst these people that are agreeing on this issue, and let them see other people's perspective. That's the patience part. And, um, you know, things come together eventually, but um, you, ha you have to take the time to time to do it. How about a mentee um, answer this same question? Um, from your point of view, um, JT, I'm going to go with you. You know, have you witnessed, um, you know, when when some a capable person, a boss or a team member got completely overwhelmed and, and what you took from it? Um, from my perspective, I started at Winter Park about a year and a half ago. And prior to that, my director had been kind of taking the lead role, um, not having any sales managers, no coordinators. So he was under an incredible amount of stress and just getting completely flooded with inquiries from different business units, from different clients, from different guests. And so he really just had to take time to like we said, slow down and focus on what you can control at any given moment. And when I first started learning from him, I was like, yes, you're going to get inquiries every single day, but just take it one step at a time, write it down as a task. And it's really helped me to just focus on like, yes, this is what I can get done right now. This is what I can prioritize. And then this is what I can do for the future. Throughout the discussion, we'll hear from our mentees. First, we'll hear from Tyler Foreman from White Pass, Washington. There's often people who who are very resilient in the sense that they they always keep going. They you know they they have their in, their internal mantras and things like you know I've got this. We we you know we're always going to make it. I'm always going to make it. But if there's if it's if they're just jumping from crisis to crisis, or they feel like they're always jumping from crisis to crisis, that can often turn inwards, and they just they develop frustrations and bitterness and. How do you how do you go about helping those people, you know, step back from that, see that they're they can take time in between the crisis to to see the next one coming, to not get so frustrated, um, kind of you know step out of their own frustration and see that bigger picture. Great question, Kelly. That is a great question, and um, I'm definitely part of that mold. Um, and I, and I feel like the more that I've been able to spend time in the industry and work through different situations, I, I hope I'm breaking out of that mold. Um, I'm more reasonable. And one of the things that I'm doing at NSAA that I think is really important is I'm trying to work with the team to really see the big picture. Um, for us, it's a strategic plan, but it could be anything. Um, because when it gets crazy, it takes us back to our focus place. And um, I can tell you that, you know, when the pandemic hit, 
it helped to have that in place so we could prioritize what we wanted to work on. So I think that big picture um, discussion from time to time, even when we get really busy and we have to focus on the guests, um, it it uh, gives everybody a good perspective and, and quite honestly lifts them up. Yeah. Um, Paul, you've talked about this idea of, you know, we can't get in a cycle to what Tyler said of, you know, the, the, the setback reset and set back and then go back and then it just becomes in that is not resiliency because you're just resetting to where you were and how do you grow through it so you know what would you say to say to Tyler the um, the idea is that um, you know if a person is bouncing from crisis to crisis there's two things that could be true one is like there's lots of crisis happening <laughs> and the person is really accurately reading the situation that's that could be true but it also um, could be true that they're um, creating more stress for others by by manifesting all of the challenges in their own behavior. So I think the the key is to understand and have the the presence of mind to recognize that um, when you're a leader, you're not only responsible for your for managing the crisis that's in front of you, you're also responsible for managing the response of everybody else <laughs> as well. So like keeping things. Um, focused accurately reading the situation for what it truly is and having a proportional response not freaking out every time something goes wrong but really making sure that the way you respond is proportional to whatever it is that's coming at you and to to kelly's point you know it does feel like we're still in this rut where we there's still there's still that lingering uncertainty there's still um that that COVID long haul, shall we say, where, where we just feel that chronic stress. Um, and you and I were talking about this of why people still, I mean, COVID is, is, you know, nowhere near what it was. It's, it's, it's behind us. We have a normal season coming up. Why are managers and bosses still dealing with people who are feeling that chronic stress and that, and, and have in your research at Dagger Wing and other places, what are there, things that you're tapping into that that people on this call can identify and um yeah i mean it's one of those things that it's it's called chronic stress where a number of things are affecting you all at once and continuously any one of those things might not be something that kind of you know flips the switch or is particularly bad but when they all hit and they all are continuously pushing on you like a headwind um it creates your 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 natural response is to say like this is overwhelming or this is too much or I can't handle it or I could handle it for a little bit of time but I really don't see any end in sight <laughs> so like why keep trying so I think there's a lot of a lot of um, a lot of the fact that it is such an ongoing and um, ongoing problem and uh, there's so many stressors affecting everybody all at the same time and we're all kind of in this together which i think is the flip side of of the idea which if we all realize that we're kind of all in this together it does help help us recognize that you know we we can get through it because the more you feel alone the harder it is to get through stuff like that i would also add that if you can celebrate the successes it sort of puts a closure and sort of a cap on it and gives you a second to take a you're like yeah, you guys crushed that. You did a great job doing whatever, whatever it might be that by celebrating it and sort of like, you know, acknowledging what went well or how things were solved 
it one builds the toolbox for you to then be able to pull that back out and be like, oh, we've seen this before. We, we know that we can get through that. But also it sort of puts a little like full stop on the, you know, okay, we've done that. Now let's take a breath. What are we doing next? Yeah, I think we, we tend to forget to celebrate the small wins along the line. Our next question comes from Penny Paris, Ski St. Bruno, Quebec. Uh, yeah, so uh, kind of along the lines of what Paul and John said, but how do you in, how do you enable our teams to move out of that chronic stress and that negativity and that automatic shutdown and, and move into finding solutions or moving forward and getting them on board with that? So how do we how do we as managers pull them through that or guide them in the right direction without always imposing this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it because it becomes very taxing emotionally when you're always the one on the brunt force. Like ideally it's the team that pulls together and not just the manager that tells people what to do. No, that's a good question. And I, I think a big piece of it is it isn't an I, it's a we and focusing on the team and um, breaking it down into small pieces is figuring out how, what is the critical pieces that need to be done and get those done and work on it iteratively rather than trying to tackle it all at once. Um, and I do think it's important and, you know, uh, especially here, cause you know, we're a smaller mountain is it's important to be hands-on, you know, and, and it's, you don't want an us versus them um, or, you know, management, you know, management versus the, the rest of the team is we are all in it together. And um, so if you, you work together and, as a team, I think you'll get a lot farther and keep it positive, you know, is, is if you get overwhelmed and express that and see it, everybody else is going to too. But if we, again, try to keep it on positive and fun and looking on the good sides of it, that brings everybody up. Now let's hear from Connor O'Sullivan, Stratton Mountain, Vermont. So I was thinking about times when um, you're working with a team and, you know, you have someone who's too stressed to have to leave the workplace and find different resources away. How does the team create an effective area within which they can leave? But more importantly, how do you create the space that they can come back and effectively work? Because that not only shows great team resilience and coming together in the workplace, but also then will provide that individual the ability to grow in their own way when they return, knowing they're in a safe environment. What are some strategies or experiences around that that you can uh, talk to? And do, you, and do you mean by leave for a day or leave for a, a longer period of time? and Both. Then... It could be extended um, or short, whether it's, you know, uh, personal or medical reasons, they could take days or weeks uh, depending on the issue. But yeah. I think, you know, developing a strong team where people are truly vested and like care about what's, you know, your other teammates well-being is the, what needs to happen. I mean, that's, you need to know that I will make you a, a chocolate molten cake or a what was it? Or did you or did you like the lemon cake? I can't remember which was the, nope. all about the chocolate, baby. That was it. It was chocolate molten cake. And you bring that down to accounting and you're like, thank you guys for what you did for us up on the mountain for all the screwed up POs that we wrote. And, you know, it's that's this is sort of stuff that it's like it shows your appreciation for when people do their job well. And it helps, you know, it makes it normal and you become not you're not like friends, but you're more friendly and, and hopefully you become friends. So, I mean, and that's a trusting relationship that you build in a workplace that allows that to happen. Charles, you know, to, to the same question, I, I know I come and I, and I 
think some of us have come from a period where you, you just, you, you, you did it. You didn't complain. You didn't say anything. You didn't air anything that was going on in your personal life. And, um, and you know, you did, there just wasn't room for that, but I, I do feel we are in a different time now where you have to be more open to, you know, the work-life balance and, and being a more caring, kind, compassionate company. And so to, Connor's question, you know, are you guys doing anything or, you know, people's space or doing anything more for their, their well-being? You know, I, I think that we've had circumstances where, where people have left for a variety of reasons. And, um, you know, in many ways, our businesses are not that big and we've been like a family. Um, I mean, not like a brother, sister type family, but just, you know, to express that, that we all care about each other and, and, you know, people have different reasons that they leave and come back. And I think that over time, how we treat those people is is part of the values of of um, of what we're sharing with the rest of the people of the team that aren't leaving um, and maybe have just come there. Um, and so I, I think that's the important piece of it. But, you know, kind of on the, the other piece that was being talked about, I, I think that especially when you're combining companies or, or different people, that what's important is you try to come up with shared values uh, between the people, um, you know, that are being led and the leaders and shared values that can continue for for a longer period of time. Because if you know a new manager comes in and they just change all the values, that's not a a resilient organization. You want to have some continuity over time of things that are important to the company, that are important to the people that work at the company, that include both, you know, what does the employee or the staff person get out of it and benefits or or just values or workspace, you know, do you allow pets? Um, whole host of things. Um, and and what's important to the company to to give to customers, you know, what do we all share about what we're trying to give to our customers? So it's a whole matrix of 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 attributes that 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 will make up what your company culture is. And Paul, to you, you know, because you you study this at Dagger Wing, um, and the you know the the culture and the and how that parlays into if you can get that right you know, environment and culture, you know, there's a, a wind that flows through to your, your, your bottom line. And um, so what, what are some of the things that you teach it, you know, with your clients with, with how to handle? Yeah. Agree that uh, with Charles, that hundred percent, the values are really important and how those values manifest in the day-to-day -day working of a team. Right. So like the, oftentimes teams will, um, interpret the values for whatever purpose they're using, like a, a mountain operations team might sort of take a look at the values in a slightly different way than a housekeeping team or whatever. But the idea is they develop these ways of working that embody the values. So like, I would guess most organizations have some version of we have each other's back, right, as a value or as a principle that they all live by. And I think that goes to the question of like, how do you, you know, allow someone the space to go and come back? It's really about how you define a team and how you all work together. I mean, this is the kind of stuff we, we at Daggerwing, you know, we articulate these ways of working for teams because they don't have the, oftentimes have the words to 
express what they're already doing. <laughs> so um, that, that's a really important thing to sort of, you know, take the values, make sure they're not just a poster on the wall, but they're things that are actually lived on a day-to-day -day basis. The mentees were tasked with reading excerpts from Paul's book, Reinventing Resilience, which inspired our next question from Ryan Robinson of Powderhorn Mountain Resort, Colorado. <clears throat> One of the videos associated with chapter one I really liked because it describes the, the power of story and sharing narratives from institutional memory that uh, of, of when the team was uh, thriving or when the organization was particularly successful. And I was just curious if uh, any of our mentors or anyone here had the, the stories that they used as a, they kind of wielded as a tool to inspire or encourage employees in, in difficult times. Yeah, it's the most important thing is sort of like your institutional memory. You know, I think one time one thing that happens when an organization or an individual gets stuck is they forget that they've done great things already. Like they they lose perspective on like I've already gotten this far. You know, I've overcome a bunch of stuff in my life already, but like in that moment they forget because it's just a lot to take on. That happens to people, that happens to organizations too. So looking back and, you know, when you're not under peak stress or when the team isn't really uh, at its most challenged, looking back at the organizational history, the wins, moments of triumph, moments of difficulty, you know, will sort of embed the understanding that we can do it. Right. And that's that is a hallmark of being resilient is just sort of that under that, you know, self-efficacy that we can actually do things that are that are really tough. Up next is Rachel Williams, Sun Valley, Idaho. As I was feeding my daughter this morning, um, I started kind of thinking more internally about my own resilience and, um, you know, strengths and weaknesses. And I think it was really a great time of year to do that as we're ramping up and head down, you know, full, full steam ahead to take that moment to yourself and think about that. And what do you do throughout the season to take that moment to reflect on your own resilience? And, um, you know, I mean, other than me, maybe putting something on my calendar, another great suggestion someone has for that. Can we get a couple of the mentors to share some of what they do to personally take care of themselves and, and tap into their need to be resilient for their team members and things that they, maybe little things they do to keep themselves healthy on that front? I'm skiing in like three weeks, so I don't know, that's good. <laughs> That seems like a good thing to do to keep your mind centered. Remember why you're here, but uh, no, I, you know, I think that there's, a, it's important to sort of have things on your calendar and, 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 and do that. So I, you know, like things that you're looking forward to, you always want to have something that you're planning on doing. So, you know, if it's heli skiing or if it's a trip with the family or whatever it might be, you know, acknowledge that that's the time that you need to spend some time, recharge the battery and you're going to be a better person when you come back. Kelly, what about you? What what do thing what are things you do to keep yourself feeling charged and resilient and uh, little little things that you do along the way? When I was raising my children and they were little when I was the GM at Mount Snow, um, I didn't take a lot of time for myself, unfortunately, because I this is how I thought about it. Every moment I take for myself is not time with my children, and that was a mistake. Um, so I, I would, I would encourage you to take some time as they got a little older. Um, we had a gym at the mountains, so I would go to the gym in the morning. I would have my radio on while I was on the treadmill. However, 
I was on the darn treadmill. Um, the other thing I did at Mount Snow, and I'm thinking of you like with lifts, um, I walked from lift to lift. And a lot of times it took me like through the woods on the snowshoeing trails. And when I was in those trails, walking from lift to lift, A, I was getting exercise, which I loved. And B, I just, it, I would go into thought then. I would think scenarios out. What was I going to say to that person when I got to that lift? I, I need to deal with this. So I think exercise and finding a little time was um, a really good outlook for me. Melissa, do you have some little tricks that you um. use? One I use, especially in season, is when I arrive, I sit in my car for a minute or two and just, I have a very short commute. It's only nine minutes. And so I sit, I'm looking around at the mountain and just kind of think about the day and and where it's going and get myself, you know, energized for the day. And I have to second, you know, Kelly in particular is, is the working out is key. You know, I, I, I do an early morning class and I dread it when the alarm goes off, but it sets my day off. Right. And I do try to skin up the mountain a lot, you know, that, and with Kelly, like you said, sometimes going up that mountain is kind of the best thoughts of the day is you're out there, you're in nature, you're enjoying what we have out there and it helps gain the perspective. Our final mentee question comes from Charlotte Skinner, Midwest Family Ski Resorts. Melissa, I, um, you, you must understand sometimes being in finance is not always the easiest position to be in. Um, people always feel like you're cutting something or taking it away or, um, you know, in the ski area industry, it's, it's really not that financial decisions are trying to increase profits necessarily. It's really just trying to maintain and being able to react to certain, you know, external changes. You know, we have weather, we have, um, you know, we have, we have lots of different things that affect the business that come from the ex- external to the business that are outside of our control. And so remaining financially resilient from a business standpoint is also an important role that finance plays in order to make sure that we can continue to take care of our employees, that we can continue to put resources into helping people's work days be better and, and work through stressors. But um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you get your employees to really understand that, you know, the trying to keep the business financially resilient is, you know, also helping them. It just is less right. direct. Right. Yeah. And that is tricky. Sometimes you're not liked by anybody. Absolutely. And, and we, you know, I've, I've worked primary in the ski industry. They've all been privately held. Um, so it's, we're always careful about what we share, but as transparent as you can be is really helpful. They don't need to know details, but knowing trends, um, talking about, you know, the weather or the, you know, what's happening inflationary wise, you know, the minimum wage going up, kind of giving it um, examples that they can relate to helps and realizing that a lot of things that we're doing is, is for the long term. is we have a great season that doesn't mean we go all out and we, we do this huge CapEx expansion, but instead we make sure we're getting ourselves set up for the next few seasons. So, um, you know, I'm lucky, especially with the Schaefer's is being a small family run resort is they do want to be as transparent as they can. And it's helpful. And, you know, there are certainly times of the year or certain seasons where we haven't had a lot and, and we will talk to them as openly as we can. And, um, let them know what's going on and what they can also do to help and what we're trying to do to, um, to, to make things better. Way back when, my very first season at Smugs, 
they have their mantra um, for their guests was we want you back. And they had had a really bad season and had to actually do across the board pay cuts. And what they said is they, they called it, we want it back, meaning the pay. And they, it was, like I said, it was company-wide and they worked and was as transparent as they could be saying, Hey, if we're able to make these certain revenue and expense targets, you guys will, will get it back. And depending on how much we exceed it, you'll actually get a bonus too. And that buy-in is they, they, they more than exceeded their goal and they were able to pay everybody back what they got a cut and a bonus. So having people feel involved in a part of it rather than just a cog in the wheel um, or a number on a, on a piece of paper or a spreadsheet, I think really makes a big difference. Great. That's a great answer. Um, do our, do our mentors feel after they saw Paul mention the, the um, characteristics of a resilient person, do you, do you all feel like you are resilient people? Do you have those characteristics? Are you, are there some that you're still working on? Um, John, can we start with you? Are you, have you arrived? You got all those qualities? Are there some you're still working on? I think that I'm resilient, but I, I will say, you know, like we're, we all have our demons that we uh, have the, the uh, reptilian brain take over on sometimes. So uh yeah, but I, I think the, the key is, you know, really having a positive outlook for me anyway, and, and really enjoying what I do. You know, we do adventure and camaraderie is sort of why we're here. And that is, you know, when you can say we're doing this because we're building, you know, the storytelling of the adventure and, and building these friendships, that's, that makes, you know, it, it makes you much more resilient. Charles, so, how about you? Yeah, I, I think that in order to be in the ski ski business, you have to be resilient the way I defined it before. Um, you know, for, I think that, you know, focusing on the customer and focusing on what you can do in the future. I mean, we, we all make mistakes and, you know, the organizations that we run are calibrated to, to do it perfectly at all. Uh, for all the challenges that we just talked about with you know so many people and and I think that if we are always looking forward then we're not beating up ourselves um, for something that we did in the past and something that we really is counterproductive because you can't change the past at all um, but focusing on the customer I think is a unifying uh, because there's all this this talk of different stakeholders and and I, I think that in the past, you know, companies have focused just on profit alone and shareholders and that kind of thing. And that's clearly not the right outlook. Um, you know, the customer is how an organization gets all of its resources. And if you make the customer happy, you can make every other stakeholder happier. And that's really what we're after. Tim. I'm going to put you on the spot. It just occurred to me that, you know, you have to deal with a lot of high stress situations. You know, what are some of the the times that you can kind of think back, you know, where, you know, you saw something unravel, but but the resilience kicked in and and um, and saw them through? Can you think about um, some of those scenarios where you saw that kind of evolution where they kind of grew through it and became stronger out the other end? Yeah, you know, I, I think there are a lot of those examples. I think a lot of them have to do with people. Um, you know, they're the work comp situations where someone's badly injured or killed. Um, and, you know, 
hearing a lot of the same things on this call is that people rally around each other. Um, and it's a family. These, every ski area is its own family. Um, you guys are, are not taking holidays with your real families. You're taking holidays with each other. Um, and I think that's important to remember is that, you know, you guys rely on each other and, and to, you know, lean on each other when you need to. But I will say one of the, one of the quotes that, you know, I love that I got from my mentor, Bo Adams, uh, who hired me, you know, into this industry is when things are going well, you're not as good as you think you are. And when things are going poorly, you're not as bad as you think you are. Um, and, and personally, you know, it comes, you know, insurance is a funny thing. It's kind of like the necessary evil. And I, I get that it's kind of a, you know, a tough topic to talk about. And it's an expensive one too, but, um, you know, the relationships we build in this business are, are something that carries the day. Um, whether we're a little more expensive um, or we're less expensive, it's that relationship that matters. Um, and, you know, it's, it's tough sometimes when you go in and you have a quote that's higher. But you got to remember at the end of the day, they are still your friends, but it is a business and they have business business decisions to make. So, you know, I, th I think, you know, without being too specific of a specific, you know, fire, whether it be the lodge or, or the Sugarloaf lift incident, I remember being on the ground the next day with, you know, TV cameras in 2010, I had been on the job for three months and I was kind of like, that was an eye opener. Um, but it's really that that motto that I have is you you get to remember at the end of the day you're you're a human being the people around you are human beings and you know whether you make a mistake or they make a mistake you got to move on from it um, you can't really dwell on that and you got to keep moving forward you know when the pandemic first hit and and it was just an onslaught of of all the triggers that you can imagine and um, and we had a leader say you know. The best thing you can do is is leave the work each day with some some gas in your tank, um, and don't run yourself to the end of your limit. Take on all of it, um, you know. And we talked about on some of the huddles about you, you know you got to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you can help the others um, when that when those crises happen. And um, so, can you take us out with some? some food for thought from us that, that we can think about in resilience for ourselves, things that we might work on, things things that might help us, you know, when we're starting to feel overwhelmed with the needs of the staff or the demands of a boss, um, you know, pressures from home and, and trying to find balance. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think the most obvious thing is I think you're looking at it, right. You know, you see a, a screen with boxes of people. And this is, I think this is one of the answers staring right, staring you in the face is this group, whenever you have a challenge or a situation that you just feel like you need to get, um, you know, get out of your head and into the space, you've got people here that you can talk to, um, which is, I think, an enormous uh, step forward or enormous advantage professionally to, to be able to have that. And then, and then I think the other thing would be to you know if you are um seeking to learn and grow in in your in your kind of capacity to absorb challenges over time start taking notes of like when you do get overwhelmed get triggered get 
you know, uh, stuck in things, because if you, if you take some notes and start looking at patterns, then you will be able to better foresee and forecast those things as they come at you. And you'll have, you'll be able to just create just enough space between the, the thing and you that you can respond to it a little bit better every single time. That's, that's what, that would be my advice. And you mentioned a little bit earlier about routine sometimes is a great way. For sure. For sure. Just because in the world where there's nothing but volatility and ambiguity, anything that's constant and regular, like a routine could be your morning routine, is a little bit of an oasis. And it provides that grounding that kind of helps you realize that not all of this is just fluid and weird. It's, you know, there is something that's reliable. That wraps up part one of our discussion on reinventing resilience. Stay tuned for part two coming soon wherever you get podcasts. A special thank you to Mountain Guard for their continued support of the Summit Series and this program. Do you have someone on your team who could benefit from listening in? Do them a favor and forward this podcast or check out the accompanying article in the May issue of SAM. We have more Summit Series episodes coming your way. Like, subscribe, and stay in touch at www.saminfo.com. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The podcast advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Wintry Mix podcast guy. Thank you for tuning in to Pod Sam.